BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon East. Welcome to the Megyn Kelly Show. Democrats are elated and Republicans, again, have some soul searching to do and some strategizing to do and a lot to do following an election day that went heavily blue. Democrats won key battles in states like Ohio, Virginia and Kentucky, sensing a theme there um, with abortion, a top area of concern for voters. Republicans suggest that, uh, or reports suggest that Democrats also made big gains in local elections, including school boards. I'm sorry, but that's a nightmare. That's, that's a nightmare. That's how we've gotten into a lot of this trouble with the indoctrination of our children. And what sane person is trying to get more Democrats on school boards right now? Truly, I, I, who, who's doing that? The question now is what does this mean for 2024 and what are the Republicans going to do? Do they seem like a group that's got their act together and really is going to now coalesce to turn things around? Mm, okay. Back to the, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, or you can be with me in what's Dyerwell called the I want to puke party. Come on in. The water's fine. We're going to have to do something. Exit polls show that voters are not thrilled about the prospect of four more years of President Biden. But they don't seem to want another Trump administration either, including in Ohio. The voters are saying that in Ohio. What the hell is happening? Right. We just saw that massive New York Times Siena poll showing Trump crushing, crushing Biden in five of the critical six swing states. But when you drill down, you go to places like Ohio, which is supposed to be not really so swingy anymore. It's supposed to be red like the screen behind me. They say we don't really want him. Could you please give us somebody else? Well, is the Republican Party about to do that? Not from the look of it. Uh, Speaking for uh, of the the race for the White House, the Republican non-Trump candidates are participating in another presidential debate tonight hosted by NBC News. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over five million pay up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. Here to break all of this down for us, Stu Bergier, host of Stu Does America, and David Marcus, columnist for the Daily Mail and other outlets. Stu and Dave, welcome back to the show. Um, Look, this was a terrible night for Republicans. Uh, I've seen a lot of Republicans out there saying, oh, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. Here's some silver linings. 
it was a bad night. That Virginia loss for Governor Youngkin was significant. It wasn't a landslide, but he lost. Not only did he gain, not did he not gain control in the Virginia Senate, he lost the Virginia House. The, the pundits had been expecting him to emerge with both under Republican control and have such a victory, Ron DeSantis-like, that he might actually catapult into the 2024 race as the underdog savior. Not happening. So Youngkin is kind of done. He's certainly done for 2024. And he may be done beyond that because he didn't look at DeSantis actually did make that happen down in Florida and he's struggling in the current race. So that's one thing. They've lost a savior in the Republican Party. Um, and then you you go down the list like Daniel Cameron, rising star in Kentucky, this completely winsome. Rich Lowry loves that word, but it's it, it's very fitting here. Um, candidate sort of could be the next generation Republican attorney general lost to the incumbent Democrat, notwithstanding his overreaches on covid that they did not make that Democratic governor incumbent pay. They, they kept Daniel Cameron out, notwithstanding a Trump endorsement, all of it. Um, even even the Bridgeport mayor race, which we've been following here, where the cheater, the alleged cheater who stuffed the absentee ballot boxes, um, or at least some Democratic operatives did to the point where a court said, we can't accept you as the Democratic nominee. It is, certainly appears you've cheated, but it's too late to stop you from being the Democratic nominee on the general election ballot. He was losing last night to his Democratic opponent, who had seemed to win the primary fair and square until the other guy or his supporters cheated with the absentee ballots. And guess what happened? Late at night, the absentee ballots came in again and once again put the alleged cheater over the top for the second time. I it's like. I have no faith in. Our electoral system, and I have no faith in the Republican Party to turn any of this around. I have no faith in Republicans to come up with a winning message in the wake of Dobbs, which overturned Roe versus Wade, which continues to haunt them at every single election. So I feel not optimistic today. Back to I want to puke. How about you guys? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, Megan, I moved out of Connecticut, so I would never have to think about Bridgeport again. So that is uh, (laughs) largely why I'm in Texas in the first place. Um, but, you know, I mean, you look at this across the, the board. You're right. Obviously not a good night for Republicans. The problems were sort of different, I think, in all these scenarios. I mean, in Kentucky, Bashir's just oddly pretty popular there. He has really good numbers going into a reelection, even in a state that obviously is red. And Joe Biden has no real chance of winning when it comes to 2024. Wait a minute, though. Wait, don't mm-hmm. you can't dismiss abortion in Kentucky. Uh, no, I'm not dismissing it. I mean, I think, look, abortion is. I mean, I focus more on that on on the Ohio explanation, I think. But I think it is there, too. But it was big in Kentucky. Big. The incumbent ran trying to say Daniel Cameron is an extremist. Daniel Cameron, rising star, who I just mentioned, ran Mm -hmm. and said, I will support the law allowing no abortions, even for and, and no exceptions on the ban, even for rape or incest. So that turned out to be a massive loser. I think we've got the ad that Bashir, the governor, the incumbent governor, ran on over and over and over in Kentucky um, from this young woman who had survived a, a, a rape by a stepfather and found herself pregnant. Watch this. I was raped by my stepfather after years of sexual abuse. I was 12. 
Anyone who believes there should be no exceptions for rape and incest could never understand what it's like to stand in my shoes. This is to you, Daniel Cameron. To tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. That is devastating. And she was thanked by the Democratic incumbent governor, uh, Bashir, in his victory speech. The the Republican Party, I understand it's a pro-life party. They are too extreme for the voters. That's irrespective of how any of us may feel on the life choice issue. They are too extreme for the voters, even in states like Kentucky. And they're going to keep losing unless they come to that realization. This is going to be a gradual fight that they're going to have to win bit by bit. They cannot win by saying no abortions and no exceptions. It's a fucking loser. Sorry. Keep going still. Uh, no, I mean, look, I think there you have uh, some valid points there in when it comes to politics. This isn't necessarily the most popular issue, um, you know, but I mean, I'll give you the example of Virginia's is, is an interesting one in that they ran there uh, on a 15 week ban. A 15 week ban is pretty popular, actually, when you poll it. Uh, it is a it's a it's a thing that is approved by over two thirds of voters. When you look at that as an individual thing, okay. uh, individual there, item, and it, it did not succeed you. there either. No, it's OK. I'm going to give you back the floor and we're going to bring Dave to Dave into. Mm-hmm. But there it was a different problem. The, yes, there they said, Youngkin said, we're going to lean into the 15 week ban. For for once, you had a Republican who said, I see this coming at me. I saw what happened in 2022 post Dobbs. I'm going to lead. I'm going to say the Republicans in this state are going to are, are OK with a 15 week ban ban. And there was about a 50 50 split on it amongst the Virginia electorate. It wasn't hugely polling against him or for him on 15 weeks. H- happens to be where most of the country is. Um, but the Democrats in Virginia ran dishonest ad after dishonest ad. And the Republicans were outspent. We have one of the ads lying about the GOP position. This, I believe, clearly resonated with the voters down there. Here it is. I want you to hear what Tara Durant supports. Tara Durant supports letting Virginia ban abortions with no exceptions. Durant says doctors who disagree with her laws should be in jail. She supports letting Virginia force a 10-year-old rape victim to carry to term. Tara Durant is extreme. Terrifying too much. We cannot elect Tara Durant. These were everywhere were everywhere in Virginia, not just about her across the board. And so I think in Virginia, it was, again, abortion played a big role, but it was a messaging issue. They were outspent and they were outmessaged. Go ahead, Stu. Yeah, I mean, I think they lied like crazy in Ohio, too. I mean, look at the wording of the amendment that that went down. Uh, It was it brought in things like contraception and miscarriage care and all of these other unrelated items that people looked at. I mean, if you were a a voter that didn't follow this that closely, I think you'd look at that Ohio thing and say, wow, they're trying to ban contraception. Of course, I don't want them to do that. Uh, I think they do this all over the country and they do it to positive effect when it comes to politics. It's probably going to work in a lot of states. Yes. I think it is. They're very good at it. Yeah, they're very good at it. And this is something this is really their only thing to run on, right? They can't run on the Joe Biden record. They're looking at abortion as their get out of jail free card. The New York Times Siena poll. This is literally the only thing that Biden's beating Trump on on, when it comes to the issues. He's crushing him on immigration, on the economy, of course, 
um, on international uh, affairs. But abortion was the one thing in which uh, Joe Biden had a nine point advantage. Democracy, he had a three point advantage as well. But you, when you say it's the only thing that they can. So, yes, you're right. And unfortunately for Republicans, it's a huge thing to the voters. I, I agree. I, what I will say, though, is, you know, there, it's a tough issue. I, I, you have, I have some sympathy for the Republican Party politically here is because, look, it's something that they believe. It's something that I believe. And frankly, like if it means losing some elections to protect the lives of children, uh, I'm pretty willing to go down that road. I and I know, Megan, no, I know you're I, call, I know. I think you know how many people you know if the Republican Party cares about lives. How about all the lives are being lost on the border right now because they can't get Republicans in office to set things straight. Every issue comes at the expense of another issue. Of course. The, the it, for 30 years, 50, 50 years, the Republicans have been saying that abortion is a state's issue. It's a state's issue. It's a state's issue. Well, now it's becoming a state's issue. Now it should be a laboratory of the states and states are going to have to make up their own minds. And Republicans are going to have to take the pulse of their own electorate state by state and figure out where they are and be realistic. And where they're out message and outspent in places like Virginia, where their message is getting completely befuddled and messed up, they're going to have to fight harder. But the thing is, Dave, I, I care about abortion. I care about all these issues. But abortion is becoming the single issue that is forcing Republicans to lose state after state, election after election. And how the hell are these Republicans who are so pro-life ever going to get any of their agenda elected from the cheap seats outside of the state houses? Listen, I, I think clearly the messaging needs to change. And I and, you know, I'm, I'm very pro-life Catholic. Um, I, I don't think that there should be any abortion. Um but you're right. It, it, it's about what the voters think. And that message is clearly too harsh right now for the electorate. But I got to be honest with you, I, Republicans were having down ballot problems before the Dobbs decision. And I do think that I do think that we need to think about Donald Trump's leadership of the Republican Party. You know, I, I was thinking about Barack Obama and I have this theory that there's two kinds of presidents, right? There's cult of personality presidents and managers. In the last hundred years, the cult of personality presidents were FDR, JFK, Reagan, Obama, and Trump. I roughly, I roughly describe this as like you, you could walk into somebody's house while they're president, and there's a picture of them, right? Nobody, you never walk into anybody's house in 1996 and there's a big picture of Bill Clinton, right? That just would have been weird. People don't have that kind of like Except his. personal investment. <laughs> when you look at Barack Obama's record on down ballot races, it's atrocious. During his eight years, the, the Democrats went from 59 to 48 Senate seats. They lost 62 House seats. They lost 958 seats in state legislatures. And I don't have the complete explanation for it, but Donald Trump, as the head of the Republican Party, seems to have a similar problem where there are these people who love him. They'll go out and vote for him. Uh, but it doesn't seem to result in down ballot victories. And it's something that the GOP is going to have to deal with, because even if he manages to win in, in 2024 without the Senate, without the House, without the state legislatures, it's it's really not going to matter. So that, that's got to get right. figured out. It's a problem. He'll get nothing done if he doesn't win down ballot. Remember when he came into office, he, he was a lift in 2016 and then never again, not in never 18, again. not in 20, not in 22, not in this off year 23. And so what what would a Donald Trump who didn't have control of the Congress be able to get through? Does he seem like much of a negotiator? I know he's a deal maker. He's been a deal maker in New York City. The current version of Donald Trump, 
He's going to reach across the aisle and make deals with Democrats. Did they seem like they would do that with Donald Trump? I don't know, Stu, but back on what happened last night, to me, this is Republicans just have to keep keep learning the same message over and over and over. Like, I appreciate Youngkin trying, trying that we're going to take something that's reasonable. And we're going to try to push it and back it and own it. It failed because they didn't spend enough money and they didn't fight those ads badly and hard, hard enough. Like, they, like you, you have to flood the field. Everybody there has to know that it's a lie. You know, they they had a candidate running in Virginia for one of the state house positions who was an OBGYN who was out there being very open about like, look, here's what's reasonable. 15 weeks makes sense to me. I've delivered babies at 24 weeks and you can't be aborting a 22 week old or a 24 week old baby. Like let's, let's come up with something that makes sense. Lost. Like the, because just the messaging was so blanket and Virginia has turned more and more blue and the more blue these states turn, the harder it's going to be to unbluify them. That's very true. And, I, you know, to your point on, on money, it's funny, like watching the uh, mainstream media coverage of this election. This is the first election I can remember in quite a long time that didn't talk about evil billionaires buying elections. Why? Well, the Democrats outspent them in every single one of these races over and over and over again. So that was a huge part of this. It, it's the messaging is hard. And I'm, I'm right. I agree with you. They're not doing a good job with it, as as is usual with Republicans. But the messaging is hard. I mean, the 15 week ban, for example, which, again, is a, a policy when tested individually is relatively popular nationwide. Um, it allows about 97 percent of abortions to go forward. And it's like if you're a pro-life party, I understand the politics of it and they're very difficult. And I think the only way you win this long term is not with changes of the law, but by changing people's hearts. I do think that that's the long term solution. But if you're going to say you're a pro-life party, and your your line is, I'm going to allow 97 percent of abortions. That doesn't sound all that pro-life uh, to me. I don't care. So I, you you have I, I, to I take it's a bit by bit process. Yeah, you cannot is. have the whole loaf. You've got to have a slice today and a slice tomorrow and a mass power and try to persuade people. And then mm -hmm. maybe you'll get to the point where it's a truly pro-life country and a truly pro-life culture. We're not there and you can't yeah, no. run for office it's pretending that we are. Go ahead, Dave. But we, yeah, we, we also need a more competent ground game, right? And quite frankly, um, we need Republican donors to be paying for TV ads, not for Donald Trump's legal bills. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, look, I, Rona McDaniel has had a chance now in, in several election cycles. It's not working out. I'm not saying it's her fault. I, I, I don't know, but it, it it's not working out. And much like the Biden administration that just keeps failing and failing and failing and nobody ever gets fired and nothing ever changes, the, the RNC is, is really starting to look like that. Something has to change. The ground game needs to get much better. The messaging needs to get much better uh, from the top to the bottom. And I think if, if we don't see significant changes in the Republican Party over the next year, uh, then I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling terribly optimistic about where this all goes. OK, but wait, as much as I'd love to blame the RNC to, for all these problems and just, you know, get somebody else to do it and then everything would be cured. There's a bigger question. Eric Erickson tweeted about it today. He's been very he's been very thoughtful, I think, on this whole issue all along. This is what he tweeted. I'd love to get your reactions. He writes, the GOP is no longer a national party. It is It is a collection of disparate regional parties. In some areas, the party wins by being tied to Trump and some it loses by being tied to him. What wins in pro-Trump areas and what wins in anti-Trump areas 
are incompatible, which means the party's coalition is unstable and unworkable nationally. It allows the Democrats, if they are more united, to win nationally against a party divided against itself, whose base is chiefly motivated to funding and voting for one man and not the party or other candidates. The candidates is the cause. The candidate is the cause. Whereas for Democrats right now, the cause is the candidate embodied in whoever's name happens to be on the ballot. I got to tell you that that sings to me, Stu, that every word of that sings to me and sounds exactly right. Yeah, I, I, it's it's so fascinating to watch because I think, look, there are some people who absolutely love Donald Trump more than anything in the world. There's so many people that hate Donald Trump um, more than anything in the world. But at the end of the day, who has proven that they can run like Donald Trump that isn't named Donald Trump? Who has proven with any success I mean, level Vivek, whatsoever? Vivek you know, Ramaswamy is trying to be a mini me. He is. And he's at five percent currently in, in the in the polls for the Republican nomination. Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, there might be a path for somebody to do this. Maybe at some point someone will figure it out. But you went over the electoral results over the past few elections. Largely what has happened is Republicans have decided to run mostly Trump like candidates to try to see if they can recreate the Trump magic. And if everyone everyone disagrees on Donald Trump across the country, one thing you can agree on is he's a pretty unique dude. This guy has some magical ability with certain people to do certain things that others can't pull off. And if the Republican no. Party is just going to turn into a Trump party, I got news for you. Donald Trump, he's not a spring chicken. He's not going to be around forever. His max output here is four more years as president. You better have another plan because it's not shown to work in any other context except one presidential election. 2016 didn't work in 2020. Hasn't worked in any of the midterm elections. Hasn't worked with any of the other candidates. It's not really a long-term winning strategy. There, there was one bright spot yesterday, and I think that it speaks to Eric's point. Uh, much like 2022, the biggest bright spot for Republicans was New York. Uh, Republicans, you know, picked up some some seats in the legislature. They, 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 they did well, right? They did extremely well in 2022. In fact, we don't have a Republican Congress without the, the, the four seats that got picked up in New York. And what did you see in New York? You saw Lee Zeldin, who, who's not terribly Trumpy, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're allies, but he's, he's not that type of person. Um, be very successful, almost win the governor's race there. You have a city and a state that is incredibly fed up uh, with the poor leadership that was shown first by Andrew Cuomo and, and then by Kathy Hochul. And I'd like to think that there is a model there. Uh, for the rest of the country. But, you know, go back. I know we've all forgotten about the speaker's nonsense, right? But that really wound up being the New York delegation led by guys like Mike Lawler, you know, who didn't want McCarthy to go. And the very MAGA delegation with people like Matt Gates were like, no, we're going to get rid of McCarthy and everything's going to be great now. And I do think that there's a division there within the Republican Party. And maybe given the success that moderate New York Republicans are actually having in elections, um, that's a that's a part of the party that people ought to be listening to a little more. This is where we go back and forth on this every time the Republicans lose, which is often, um, you know, is what they need. Somebody who's more moderate, like some of these guys out of New York who have to be moderate in order to get elected as Republicans, or is what they need a true dyed in the wool conservative who can take them to the promised land and be so inspirational that he'll motivate the base to turn out in record numbers. Trump emerges as something that doesn't look anything like those two categories. You know, we call him a populist. I, I don't know what Trump is. You know, he's he was big on trade and he was big on immigration. Those were his two biggest 
signposts when he was running. We got to do something about China and we got to build the wall. And he tried to do something on China. He put up some tariffs. They're still in place. Joe Biden didn't take them away, uh, though there's still a trade deficit there. And he tried to do something on the wall. How much he built of it, how effective it was, remains in dispute. He's got numbers that don't match up with what the Border Patrol or his critics say. In any event, we see whatever was built, it was insufficient. I think it's safe to say (laughs) whatever he did did not stop the influx or protect the country against the possibility that a Democrat would succeed him and try to undo policy in a way that might be detrimental. So in any event, I think the Republican Party still responds to those two messages. They're not nearly as pro free trade as they used to be, given the collapse of manufacturing, the collapse of domestic jobs, the working class implosion and no one paying attention to them. Um, And they are pro secure border. So those are a couple of things. The abortion thing has been an albatross around the Republicans neck ever since they, they caught the bumper when Dobbs was decided. They had no plan. They never saw it actually coming. It came. And I don't know how long we're going to be dealing with this. I mean, I really do wonder, you know, we've got kids. Are, is this going to be like, is our kids going to be our age by the time the Republicans win national elections again? If, like, is this just like the natural fallout from Dobbs and we're stuck with it for, for decades until the Democrats have extracted enough revenge, you know, to, to satisfy themselves? Because what's happening right now, Stu, is state after state, Arizona, Florida, all these key critical swing states, all the all the six are getting ballot initiatives put on them right now for November 2024, because that's what drove Democratic turnout and made it much larger than Republican and independent. Actually, the independents are with the Dems on abortion um, in a state after state and and also legalization of pot. Apparently, the, some 20 percent of Republicans turn out to be for that in places like Ohio, a, a majority of independents are a huge swath and a majority of Democrats. And that's enough to win. And you know what? It's enough to drive turnout so that you win elections when, you know, up and down the ballot is the point. They're they're strategizing. And the Republican Party is like, well, um, well, <laughs> that's that's my description. Yeah. And it's a pretty accurate one. I mean, it's the turnout is a fascinating part of this, Megan, because I, I, I agree with you. It's it's there's a long road ahead here. But you look at the Ohio electorate that came out which was a Trump plus eight state. The electorate that came out for this election yesterday was a Biden plus two electorate. People voted for Biden. Um, You know, the Republicans were not able to inspire anyone really to come out and do this. And I think the approach needs to be different for each state, right? Like the the abortion message tests pretty darn well here in Texas. Doesn't seem to be a problem at all. It doesn't, it's not going to test well at all in Virginia. And you need to understand all you can do is is take advances on these important issues as they are available. Going for every single bit of it in every single state doesn't make much sense. Um, but I mean, this is similar. The Democrats are p- trying to pull off what George W. Bush did in 2004 when uh, gay marriage was a more uh, potent issue for Republicans. They put on these ballot initiatives all over the country and it got Republican voters out. They're going to try to do the same thing. And it did work. It's worked several times uh, for Democrats as well. Now, look, when you look at the larger situation, when you go to the 2024 election and when when asked uh, what's your most important issue, abortion only shows up for about five percent of voters. That might be enough to to change the dynamic here, especially as the media wholeheartedly embraces their narrative. It's going to be tough to defeat. But still, these issues uh, on Joe Biden's performance, if this election can be about Biden's performance and about the economy, which people still overwhelmingly name as their top issue, Republicans have a really good chance. 
if Donald Trump is the nominee, obviously this election is going to be a lot more about Donald Trump and his legal issues. And God only knows what else they'll create over the time. So that's going to make things, I think, more challenging. But look, Joe Biden is has done such a bad job. Certainly he's beatable if they just don't screw it up, which is, of course, what Republicans usually do. They will snap defeat from the jaws of victory like that. (laughs) They, that's their specialty. So let's just talk about Ohio a little bit more in depth for a second, Dave. Here's the, here's some of the numbers mm-hmm. on abortion. Uh, and, and here's here's what's crazy. So what was on the ballot was, should we enshrine abortion rights into our state constitution? Should we make it such that this is not a whimsical thing that changes from administration to administration? There will be a constitutional right to get an abortion in a way that they could never do at the federal level, right? And they voted... to 43.4% yes in a red state, Ohio, a clear margin of victory, 13 percentage points. Yes, we want that. 18 counties back Trump back in 2020 voted in favor of abortion rights. Um, One in five Republicans, these are according to the preliminary exit polls, we'll get final numbers soon. One in five Republicans supported the measure. Nearly two thirds of independents supported the amendment. And let me tell you about the amendment. This is this is a pro-life nightmare. Okay, the amendment, this is what it it basically makes abortion legal to to birth all the way up to birth. You know why? Because it not only has a life exception for the mother, it has a health exception for the mother. Do you know what that means? You find any OBGYN in the in the state who says your mental health requires you to abort your nine month pregnant baby. You're good. You can have one now. It's in the Ohio red state constitution, thanks to this vote last night. To me, that is a messaging failure. That's the Republicans' failure to explain to the to the electorate what was really at stake. I don't believe that that one in five Republicans and two thirds of independents want abortion legal to birth because it says I'll read it to you a right a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. Oh, that sounds so nice. Doesn't it sound so nice? And only allow the state to prohibit, to ban an abortion after an unborn child is determined by a pregnant woman's treating physician to be viable. So they're making it sound like, okay, um, the only time that the state could pass a law banning abortion is post-viability. That's the Roe standard. So Ohioans are saying, okay, that makes sense. We don't want post-viability abortions. That's, That's how it used to be. We like that. And it says, and only if the physician does not consider the abortion necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. Okay, you are definitely going to have doctors who say this baby has some sort of a defect and it's not viable. And in order to give birth to it, the mother's mental health would be ruined. And therefore, nine months, it's gone. It's just there's there's got to be a better message for Republicans in calling out exactly what's going to happen. Uh, otherwise, I don't, we're, we're going to have more abortions. It, it, it has to be far more forceful. Right. I mean, another thing that we're going to see is selective abortions where, you know, kids with Down syndrome will be killed because they have Down syndrome in the womb. And, you know, a parent or a doctor doesn't want that. <laughs> abortion is a difficult thing to talk about. And I think that I think Republicans have a fear that if you're that guy outside the Planned Parenthood with the bloody looking picture of the, of, of the fetus, right, that like, this is too far. This is going to turn off voters. This is going to, you know, make people feel icky. I, I think that Republicans, pro you know, pro life Republicans, most Republicans are pro life. I, I think we need to be harsher. I mean, I, I, 
you know, I went to Catholic school as a kid. And back then, I don't know if, if, if either of you had this experience, but I mean, they would show us movies of, of, of what this is, of what happens, of, of, of what it really, really is. Not, you know, not reproductive health care, but killing a human being. And I don't think that Republicans have done a good enough job or the pro-life movement in general has done a good enough job post-Dobbs of describing the horror uh, that this really is. And, and I would like to see Republican politicians in general do a far better job. Now, that, that may yeah, sound the like the opposite help. of taking a more moderate position. But but I do think that in, in terms of something like abortion at eight months, yeah, we, we, we need to expose how grotesque this is probably in grotesque ways. Mm -hmm. Some of the numbers here, Stu, um, in Ohio, pro-choice groups raised, this is from today's The Dispatch, pro-choice groups raised nearly triple what pro-life groups did, nearly triple in mm -hmm. the home stretch of the campaign. They outspent their opponents in ad buys last night in taking a victory lap. Um, the executive director of pro-choice Ohio said, Ohio is not a red state. We're purple as hell, baby. And they're thanking this issue over in Virginia. Um, they had 40 percent, 40 percent of Democratic candidates ads mentioned abortion, according to Ad Impact, which advertise, which tracks advertisements. OK, 40 percent of their ads. So it was the issue. Ann Coulter had a piece this morning on her Substack saying that uh, uh, pro-life is the new Black Lives Matter. But for Republicans, you know, the thing that brought down so many Democrats that so many more moderate Democrats were like, or def not Black Lives Matter, defund the police, same thing. It's the new defund, defund the police, where the like moderate candidates are going to get killed on the Dem side if they say defund the cops now. And if you say pro-life, you know, no exceptions, rape, you're done. You're, you're going to drag down everybody. Yeah, no, I, I, look, there's some uh, there's some evidence to this, and I think it's happened several times since Dobbs. I mean, look, the Republican Party did not come out of Dobbs uh, prepared. They came out completely flat footed with no plan, which is incredible considering they were, worked 50 freaking years to get this done. They really had no idea how they were going to approach that. And that is completely on them. But the abortion issue, I, I will say, is, is, is somewhat fascinating. The Ohio example, for example, here, you have a red state, which, again, the Republicans are going to win in 2024 uh, by all you know appearances. And uh, you have two parties and in reality, both of their positions are incredibly unpopular with voters. What Democrats want is nine month abortion. That is not popular with voters whatsoever. What Republicans, we, you'd say maybe as a party generally want is basically no elective abortions, uh, maybe with exceptions for, for rape and incest. And that's you know, generally the party position. The, the voters are in the middle there. They want something a little bit different. But what you saw in Ohio was the Democrats going for all of it. They went for their California laws, their Illinois yes. laws, their New York laws, and they were successfully able to message it in a way to convince a red state to go along with it. And so I don't know. I mean, Megan, how I, I'm, I'm at a loss. How would you mess, message this to Ohio? How would you have gone after this? I would get more money. I would. I think it's just about more money. Amen. More mm. money to get the right message out and make it ubiquitous, so Ohio voters really understand. I was in Michigan right before the last midterm election, and I was visiting some gal pals of my out there, of mine out there. Every billboard said you're going to lose your right to contraception unless you vote Democrat in this in this election. I mean, 
it made you sound like, oh my God, we're going back to the dark ages. I'm not going to be able to protect myself against an unwanted pregnancy. And then I won't be able to have the choice about whether to have that baby. God forbid I find myself pregnant. Like it was everywhere. They spent and they won and they won big, right? And that was the end of Tudor Dixon and the continued rise of Gretchen Whitmer. The, the Republicans, I don't know what they're spending their money on. Maybe Dave's right. Maybe it's all going into, into Trump's many, many legal trials. But it's not going to the right places because I don't believe that Ohio, which is red, it's not purple, would vote for this if they truly understood. You are now paving the way. You're paving the way for doctors to say, yeah, you know what? It's really going to cause the mom a lot of migraines. Uh, and so this six month old in the womb baby needs to be aborted. I don't I just don't believe they're actually with that. But to your point that, that we're talking about, like they don't really like these candidates. Like what's amazing to me on the Ohio numbers. Only about. Four in 10 Ohio voters approve of Biden's job performance. Only a quarter, so about 25% of voters there think Biden should even be running. That, the Ohioans across the border against Joe Biden, they don't want him. How about Trump? Only one third think that he should be running. Trump carried Ohio by eight points, as you point out, in 16 and 20. He carried it by eight points. Only one third of Ohio voters think he should even be on the ballot. They don't want these two parties. They don't want Biden. They don't want Trump, these two candidates. And yet, what's going to happen tonight? We're going to have the third Republican presidential debate. It's going to be moderated by NBC News and Hugh Hewitt of Salem Media. And those candidates are more than likely not going to attack Donald Trump because they're very afraid of his huge support within the Republican Party. And they're too chicken to really go for him. And the Republicans are going to wind up with a guy who is polling well nationally right now. And we saw in the swing states from the from the New York Times poll. But when push comes to shove, isn't wanted. And unlike the Dems who really they're not going to switch him out against his will, they can switch Trump out. It's an open primary right now. They're not going to do it. Yeah, but the, the Dems could switch Biden out with his will. Right. I mean, the. It's entirely possible. You know, I looked this up the other day when LBJ announced that he wasn't going to seek reelection. He didn't do that until March 31st, 1968. There had already been several primaries, right? If that's going to happen, it is my sincere belief that the Democrats want to wait until Trump has it locked up. And then you can have, for whatever reason, Joe Biden wants to say, you know, he'll be the grandfatherly guy who steps aside. I think this is a real fear for Republicans, that at that point, somebody can come in who doesn't have uh, these high negatives that both Trump and You're Biden right. do. Now, now maybe Biden's unwilling to do that. Um, I, I don't know, but it's certainly a possibility. And it, it, as, it's a possibility that ought to scare Republicans, I think. You're so right. The, the Republicans ought to pray every night that Joe Biden stays in this race or, you know, really that he either stays in or that he passes the baton to Kamala. Like one of those two things. That's their only hope right now, because if they sub out these two and sub in somebody more competent, more youthful, somebody who can who doesn't encircled in, in, in a corruption scandal and we'll get to the latest on that today, um, then the, the Republicans are even in more trouble than we think they are. Stand by. Stu and Dave stay with us for the full show. Love when these guys are here. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over, along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers. The IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. 
Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. It is debate night once again in America. This one, as I mentioned, hosted by NBC News. We expect the moderators to be Lester Holt, Kristen Welker, and then Hugh Hewitt from Salem Media. He's the conservative. They did this, you know, last time around. They had sort of like a conservative talking head on some of the panels. We never had to deal with that at Fox because they trusted us to be fair and balanced. But uh, on some of these more lefty channels, the RNC, I think, wisely insists that there at least be somebody out there who understands what's interesting to Republican voters. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I you know, I, I predict we're going to be very frustrated watching this. And I predict the ways ins and out of these questions will not be the ways in and out that Republicans find interesting. I'm sure abortion is going to be a big, big subject tonight, guys, but I, I don't believe it's going to be the way any Republican voter would get in and out of it. Kristen Welker is the one who raised this with Trump. I expect something along the lines of you can't win if you continue this. So what's your solution? Um, but what do you make of the fact that the debates are ongoing, Dave, and that, you know, I think tonight it's going to be DeSantis versus Haley in earnest. It, it could be a dogfight between those two. I, I, I. I think that it will be DeSantis versus Haley, although I think that that may be a mistake uh, for DeSantis. I think this is the point in time when DeSantis needs to drop the gloves and go completely after Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump and his like, you know, influencers and all of these people, I mean, they've been just humiliating DeSantis. And I understand DeSantis wants to sort of be above it, uh, you know, wants wants to be the adult in the room, but he's got to start punching back. and. You know, I, I think the opportunity that he has to punch back really has to do, and you're starting to hear some of this from his camp of like, why didn't you do all these things when you were president, right? So Jim Jordan yesterday had that big announcement about like all of the people who were being suppressed by, by the federal government. And some of them were my former colleagues at the Federalists, like uh, you know, Molly Hemingway and Sean Davis. And I thought John Levine, who's a wonderful reporter for the New York Post, made a great point. He quote tweeted Jim Jordan's thread and he said, Trump was president when all of this happened. And I get it. I get that the Trump people say, well, he got blindsided by the deep state and what could he do? But why is that going to be different this time? We've seen what Ron DeSantis was able to do in Florida, which had concrete results and wasn't just talk. So I think that if Ron DeSantis misses the opportunity tonight to, to highlight those kinds of issues, uh, then it's over. I, I, I don't think him versus Haley for the next two months does anybody any good whatsoever. Mm. She's on an upward trajectory right now, mm -hmm. Stu, in the polls. He's not. So if anyone is emerging as the non-Trump alternative, you could make the case it's Nikki Haley right now. So I do think those two are going to come to blows and they'll make it about themselves. And that's all well and good. And maybe one will win and the other one won't. And they'll both lose to Trump unless unless they do something different differently. Right. Like, there have been a couple of opinion pieces out there lately saying, make the case against Donald Trump. Remind people, 
right? You know, it's truly with the with the passage of time, you forget one's flaws. Haven't we all done that with an ex? And it's their job to get out there and say, you know, look at all the spending he did. Where is the wall? Look at, you know, the suppression of conservative voices. As you point out, look what he did during the pandemic. This isn't the Megyn Kelly case. This is the critics case against Donald Trump. They're so far too afraid to do it. Even the hits on Trump have been gentle. They've been gentle. And they, they and, and not surprisingly, they've had no impact. None at all. And I mean, go to Vivek Ramaswamy again when he said Donald Trump has been the best president of my lifetime. It's like, well, why are you on stage then? I don't I don't What's the point of that? Um, I think there's two ways to approach this election. And I think there's a decision to be made for Ron DeSantis. And it might very well be tonight uh, which direction he's going to go. You can try to win this primary on your own terms, right? Like, which is a difficult task when you're down by 30 points. But in a normal circumstance, that would be your goal, right? To win the primary. We're going to have a, a bunch of people going for votes, and I want to win the most votes of that group. And that seems really, really obvious as your goal. But there is a secondary decision that's being made, and I think it's the only one that, like, for example, Nikki Haley can really make, which is how do I win this second place primary? That might matter if Donald Trump goes to prison, right? Like we know that they're going after him with all the full force of the government right now. And there's a good chance with 95 different charges, they're going to get him on a few of those. And who knows if that how that turns out and how it affects voters. It's possible, you know, he, he gets convicted of these things. There's some evidence in the Siena poll of this that people would change their mind and no longer want to vote for Donald Trump. If he goes to prison, who knows what goes on there? If states kick him off ballots, God only knows we're going to be in a, in a state of chaos. So there's this secondary primary going on, which is why I think the debate is important tonight, um, because you have to find out who your backup is. Even if you love Donald Trump, if you think he's the greatest guy in the world, you need to make sure that you have a second choice because there's a good chance you may need to use it. And I think that's what that back and forth may be. I think DeSantis, if he's like he has the qualifications. He deserves to be in this race. He's he's a really yeah. good governor, and I think he would be an excellent president. Um, so I think he should make the case. There is a lot to cr critique over uh, Donald Trump uh, and his his presidency. There's a lot to love as well. There was a lot of good. But as Dave pointed out, you know, it's like, you know, oh, well, he was blindsided by the deep state. Well, whose job is it to avoid being blindsided by the deep state? The deep state is, you know, these people have been in the... A lot of the same people have been there for 30, 40, and 50 years. It's your job to make sure you are not victimized by the uh, by the teachings of Anthony Fauci in one of the most important moments in American history. There are arguments mm -hmm. to be made for and against Donald Trump, but the but you know, Ron DeSantis can't just say, I'm really good, I swear I'd be good, and not criticize Trump because a large part of this electorate feels, I believe incorrectly, that this election was stolen from him and he deserves a chance to have another four years. And I don't, if you don't make the case against the previous four years, you're going to yes. have no chance of getting in there. They must yeah. do it on substance. They have no choice, Dave. It's I think what they've been worried about is turning into Chris Christie. But you're, you're not. Chris Christie goes after Trump personally and vice versa. They hate each other. It's a blood match. But Chris Christie is not up there saying, you know, let me walk you through the, the policy failures of Donald Trump. Right. Like so far, we've seen candidates who are too afraid to say things like, where's our wall? Yeah. Uh, what about your tr your plan to withdraw those troops from Afghanistan? You're the thing that set that disastrous withdrawal in motion. Biden was executing on what you what you set up, whatever. You know, you could go down the list of fair criticisms of Trump while he was president. 
I haven't heard anybody make that case except Chris Christie-like figures in the press who hate Donald Trump. You need one of these candidates to get up there on substance, not on personality, get on substance and say, let me remind you, he wasn't all that. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. You know, I had a fascinating conversation with the guy that I met the other night at a at a Tea Party meeting in, in West Virginia. And this guy had been the head of personnel during the Reagan administration and importantly, the part of the transition team in 81, which is considered the gold standard. He told me that he and Ed Meese and a few other people from that transition team sat down in 2016 with Trump's transition team, which is being led by Chris Christie somehow. Uh and he said they wouldn't listen, that nobody would listen to any of their advice. And the one piece of advice that he had was, Chris Christie's not really with you. What you do, he told me what you do with a guy with Chris Christie is you point at a globe and you say, where do you want to be an ambassador? And mm. Trump's got a personnel problem. He always has. And I think that that's something that the other candidates really need to slam because Trump can't fix this on its own. And he hasn't explained how he's going to. That's a good point. You don't generally get, you know, when you become president, you have your your pick, the cream of the crop to come work in your administration. Everyone wants to be part of the White House or the administration and affect policy, especially when you're, you're controlling Congress, all of it. And um, you don't generally get better from there, right? Like all those people have been fired. Half of them hate Trump. He hates them. Mad Dog Mattis, John Kelly, you know, Tillerson, all of them, they're gone. They're not coming back. Uh, so who's going to be uh, on tier two <laughs> and how is Trump going to control them or find people who are so-called, you know, the best people at this point when he wasn't able to do it at the first point, according to him? These are all fair points. Is, look, I, I don't know. This is my, my point is. This is what we should be hearing from the other candidates if they really want to win, if not enjoy oblivion. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you, whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit TNUSA.com slash Megan. Now, first, I want to kick this hour off, guys, with a, a little story. It's story time. This story happens to be about Hunter Biden and David Weiss. David Weiss was and is the U.S. attorney for the District of Delaware, federal prosecutor for that region. He was under Trump. He remains so under Biden. He began investigating Hunter Biden, the ne'er-do-well son of Joe Biden, as uh, far back as 2018. The IRS was looking into him. They It had come to their attention that there was some funny business going on with his taxes. He'd been involved in some bank situations involving prostitutes, they smelled a rat. They started investigating him. They were stopped at every turn, according to two whistleblowers who ultimately came out from the IRS, by the Department of Justice, in particular when the administration switched from Trump to Biden, who did not want them asking questions about Joe Biden, speaking to Joe Biden's grandchildren, Hunter's children, 
many of whom are adult now. No, none of of those can be interviewed. They were ready to serve a subpoena on Hunter's storage unit. No, the DOJ interfered. And I think Secret Service ultimately gave him a heads up that it was going to happen, giving him time to remove whatever was in that storage uh, container, like one of those units, before the feds could get there to investigate. They're looking for papers. They're looking for evidence of fraud, of international dealings, of working as a foreign agent without properly registering. All the things now that the House of Representatives is currently investigating. According to the whistleblowers, they were thwarted at every turn. David Weiss was running herd on the whole investigation. Before we know it, years pass and David Weiss has magically allowed the statute of limitations to run on the most severe potential charges against the president's son. The president likes to defend himself. Merrick Garland, our current AG, likes to defend himself by saying, no interference here. We let the Trump appointed uh, U.S. attorney continue the investigation. Well, this guy, David Weiss, had to be approved by the two Democratic senators who have gone to the U.S. Senate out of Delaware. He never could have gotten through them. This guy is clearly a partisan hack. We now know this about David Weiss. So this is a cover up lie by Merrick Garland to say, oh, you know, he was under Trump. Um, So he let the statute of limitations run. The whistleblowers came forward. This is outrageous. He shouldn't have let that statute of limitations run. We had him. We had him dead to rights. As early as 2021, we were jumping up and down, up inside the FBI saying, charge the guy, charge him. You're going to let these claims expire. What's going on? And they claimed under oath that David Weiss, who was the U.S. attorney that they were answering to ultimately, told them in the spring of 2022, I don't have ultimate authority over the case. That's just the truth. These guys said, what? Because here's the thing. The most serious charges against Hunter were to be brought in D.C. or California, not in Delaware. And the the clock was ticking. And they said to him, you got to go. You got to make sure that these charges get brought. And he said, according to the whistleblowers, in particular, Gary Shapley, IRS whistleblower, we interviewed him ourselves, that David Weiss told them in in um, October 2022, it was that he lacked ultimate decision making authority. He lacked ultimate decision making authority, that that's what they were told directly by Weiss. Now, why would he lack ultimate decision-making authority? There could only be two reasons. One, he wasn't made special counsel, which gives you the authority to do pretty much what you want. We know that he wasn't granted special counsel authority by that point. He is now. But back then, he didn't have it. So he still answered to Merrick Garland, very much so. And here's what happens. Let's say I'm the Delaware U.S. attorney. And Dave, you're the U.S. attorney for the Northern Northern District of California. And Stu, you're the guy who runs D.C., and I want to bring two very serious criminal charges against Hunter Biden in your jurisdictions, not mine, or I'm in charge. There's a system for this, as you might imagine, it happens all the time. People don't always confine their criminality to the d- district in which they live. So I call you up, Dave, and I call you up, Stu, and I say, guys, I'm your counterpart in Delaware. I need to bring charges in your district. Do you want to partner with me on it? And if you don't want to partner with me on it, you're too busy, you're not into it, no problem. I'll just go get the okay from our big boss, Merrick Garland. You guys say, I don't want to touch this shit with a 10 foot pole. (laughs) It's your thing. You go for it. Uh, So no problem. That happens. So then you go to the big bus, Merrick Garland, and you say, Dave and Stu don't want anything to do with it. Can you just give me my pink slip so I can go into their jurisdictions and try cases even though I practice in Delaware? Yeah, fine. It's done all the time. If you get that designation, you're considered a special attorney. The word attorney matters. It's not the same as special attorney counsel, which David Weiss is now, where you have all the independence. Ultimately, you still got to get your controlled ultimately by Merrick Garland, but you have more authority as special counsel. 
Special attorney is done every day. It's done every day for jurisdictional lines, as I just discussed. So the IRS guys are looking at David Weiss in October of 2022 with a statute about to run saying, what do you mean you don't have ultimate decision making authority? What do you mean you don't? You're like, is somebody stopping you? Because like, it's very, very easy to bring charges in somebody else's jurisdiction unless the AG stops you. Is that what you're trying to tell us? And it remains somewhat unclear. Well, they come out and they tell the world this, these two IRS whistleblowers. This is bullshit. They let it run. And he admitted he didn't have ultimate authority. David Weiss and essentially Merrick Garland, not essentially, and Merrick Garland call these whistleblowers a couple of liars. They're bullshit. It's not true. David Weiss did have authority all along. There's just problems with the case. It happens. Don't second judge, second guess. Don't armchair judge. You have no idea. It wasn't because he didn't have the authority. He was empowered. I empowered him, Merrick Garland said. Even David Weiss, Merrick Garland's little whipping boy. Yeah, he empowered me. I had power. He wants to move up within the DOJ. He's not going to bite the hand that feeds him. Both of them, united front. But the messaging was squirrely, and it was clear that something else was going on here. And whenever congressional investigators probed a little, they kept going back to, can't talk about an ongoing investigation. Can't ongoing investigation. Wish I could be more helpful here, but ongoing. Well, they've been having hearing after hearing. And let me just give you a flavor for how Merrick Garland sounded after those whistleblowers came out. He was on his heels because he had already told Congress, David Weiss has full authority. He can do whatever he wants. Don't you worry about me. I know I work for Biden, but David Weiss is the man. That's a Trump guy. He's got total authority here. And so now the the whistleblower is saying Merrick Garland interfered. He interfered in many ways, including apparently stopping David Weiss from going to California and D.C. Merrick Garland was pissed and he comes. It's not true. He had ultimate authority. And here's a butted soundbite of Merrick Garland, both in March of 2023, before the whistleblowers had come out and repeating it in June of 23, after the whistleblowers had come out. Same message. And you should keep in mind while listening to it. All lies. Watch. The U.S. attorney in Delaware has been uh, advised that he has full authority uh, to, to make those kind of uh, referrals that you're talking about or to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. And I will assure that if he does, uh, he will be able to do that. Weiss has told Congress that he has been granted ultimate authority over this matter. Sir Weiss had, in fact, more authority than a special counsel would have. He has complete, he, has, he had and has complete authority, as I said, to bring a case anywhere he wants. I don't know how it would be possible for anybody to block him from bringing a prosecution, given that he has this authority. He was given complete authority to make all decisions on his own. That's not true. The only way he would have been able to grant to bring cases in D.C. and Northern California was with Merrick Garland's approval, which should have been given with ease. But we have been asking ourselves all along, was it denied? Why didn't who's the villain? Did David Weiss not call Merrick Garland and say, yo, Stu and Dave shot me down. I need the special permission slip. Or did he do it? And Merrick Garland said, F off, David Weiss. It's a hard no. Thus ending the serious charges against Hunter Biden. The latter would be a much bigger deal because it would be on Merrick Garland, the president's appointee. David Weiss, we care about, but he's a hack. Okay, well, he's not the sitting attorney general. Um, all along, we've been asking, 
Did David Weiss ask for the special attorney designation? Did he ask for the permission slip or didn't he? Ongoing investigation, ongoing investigation. Guess what? Yesterday, we finally got an answer. David Weiss, who's been avoiding these congressional investigators in the House from the beginning, finally had to sit in front of them. It wasn't on cam. It was behind closed doors. And he told the House Judiciary Committee, according to Jim Jordan, that he was refused special attorney status in this investigation of first son Hunter Biden. Weiss said he initially requested special attorney status in spring 2022. Remember the whistleblowers meeting in October 2022, where they said he told them, I don't have the authority. According to Jim Jordan, David Weiss told congressional investigators yesterday in spring of 2022, he went to justice. He said, give me the permission slip to bring these charges. And the principal assistant deputy attorney general told him no. Told him no. So now we know. The attorney general of the United States, through his principal assistant deputy, stopped the investigation into Hunter Biden. They're the ones, they're the villains, thus letting him off on the most serious charges. David Weiss did what he was told and just put his head between his legs uh, as he was getting scolded. You're not getting it. You'll stick to Delaware, where it's a bunch of bullshit charges that we can easily get him probation on or give him a deal on. And you, David Weiss, can be controlled. That's obvious. Uh, And go along your merry way. And then they smeared the whistleblowers as liars when they came out and said he he admitted to us he didn't have the authority. They both came out and said liars always had ultimate authority. And then behind closed doors when it's under oath, it's a different story for David Weiss. Merrick Garland lied under oath. Uh, David Weiss apparently didn't and told the truth. So now we know this will not be in The New York Times and The Washington Post and on NPR leading any news tomorrow. They'll talk about Republican infighting from the debate. And it's absolutely disgusting. There are two systems of justice. Hunter Biden has very much benefited from this one. And Donald Trump is under indictment in four different places because of the other. That's my story. That's the end of story time. Uh, for the beginning, for this day, November. What a happy story, Megan. <laughs> yeah. What do you no. what do you make of it? <laughs> it? Look, Garland Garland was very dicey last month when he uh, appeared before Congress because he was asked this very question about you know the authority to prosecute, and basically where Garland landed was somewhere along the lines of I gave Weiss a personal assurance that he would have the authority, right? Which is not the same as granting him the authority. It's he saying, already said, he are, but he already said he has the full authority. He said he had the full authority to make those kinds of referrals to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he yeah, feels that, that it is true. necessary. Right. Not that true. And David true. Weiss said to Congress in a letter, I've been granted ultimate authority over this matter, including responsibility for deciding where, when, and whether to file charges and whether to file. That's not true either. He also no. lied in that June 7th letter to Congress. He only told the truth, according to Jim Jordan, at least, behind closed doors yesterday. Yeah, um, they were lies. And what, what I meant about Garland's testimony last month was that he was starting to walk this back a little bit, right? Starting to he was starting to say, this, this this wasn't the establishment of the authority. This was me saying, if you need it, 
you know, you can come to me. But all of this is is, is covered in lies. I mean, including right up to the top with Joe Biden. I mean, you talk about the media is not going to go after Garland or the media is not going to go after Weiss. They haven't even gone after Joe Biden for just blatant, obvious lies that went. For, what was the first story? Was, I've never talked to Hunter about business. Right. Mm -hmm. Then it was I was never in business with Hunter. Then it was, well, Joe never got any money. Well, now we see that Joe did get money. It's just been lie after lie after lie. You're absolutely right. The media doesn't care. And I got to I got to be honest, you know, the, the, the whole speaker fiasco, the thing that angered me the most about that was that Comer and, and the Republican Congress were really moving the ball on this. Public opinion was being swayed. It seemed like every week there was some new damning revelation. And this past month, uh, up until yesterday anyway, and that was behind closed doors, everything has gone cold. And I'm worried that that we don't get that momentum back. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this is the thing, Stu, that Ted Cruz was saying, if this is true, he he was onto this and he was saying there's a divergence here. You know, either he had the authority or he didn't. We know Merrick Garland has said explicitly under oath he had the ultimate authority and that he was empowered to charge wherever and whenever he wanted to. And Ted Cruz was saying, sitting U.S. senator, if that was an untruthful testimony, Merrick Garland should be impeached, that if he if he told a lie to the U.S. Senate under oath, he should be impeached. And now, according to Jim Jordan, what we have is David Weiss putting the lie to that statement, saying, I did go to him. I went to the AG, to the deputy, and I was told no. It's really fascinating to hear all this laid out this way. I, I must compliment Megan Kelly's story time, uh, which I will say I've read about 200 stories on this particular issue in their legal wranglings and never really understood it. That's by far yeah. the most clear uh, explanation I've ever heard on it. And I think that's part of the problem, uh, you know, mm. as far as uh, communicating this issue. I mean, as someone who is not an attorney, you know, they say things and you're like, OK, well, I guess maybe he couldn't go across state lines or maybe he maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe that didn't happen. It's it's hard for people to know who don't understand uh, the ins and outs of this. And this is part of their strategy. Right. They layer the lies on top of the lies on top of the lies. And at the same time, they're running the clock out so they can get out of these charges. And they have such a complicit media to to help them with this job. I mean, I was listening to I think it was The Daily on Monday. Like of this week, Monday, and they were talking about the polling uh, out of that Siena poll with Joe Biden. And I think it was something like 45 percent of, of voters say uh, it was 45 or 50 percent said that you know Joe Biden profited from these business dealings with Hunter Biden. And as they finish laying out that number, they both note. And that's, of course, with no evidence whatsoever to support it. Right. Yes, I yeah, heard absolutely. that. And it was like mind blowing. Like, what year is this? Is it 2018? Like, maybe we didn't have a lot of evidence in 2018. But this is 2023. We have incredible amounts of evidence. We might not have full legal proof of every claim that has been made, but evidence is how you start an investigation and start to look at those things more deeply and get documents and bank records and all these things you need to prove to that legalistic standard. And they all know this. They certainly know it with well, Donald Trump. And yet here in a situation where like this stuff could be explained this is a massive, massive um, uh, problem for a government official to be lying under oath. And impeachment is what our the founders attorney general laid out of the United States, the attorney general of the United States. And you could tell he looked squirrely and he looked uncomfortable. And you knew enough to know someone's not telling me the truth. And I don't know who or why, but I don't think I believe either one of these guys. 
And then they landed on the same story and tried to get out of it with this special, like, no one, no one knows what the hell we're talking about. Special counsel versus special attorney. No one knows what we're saying. We're good. We're, everyone's too stupid to understand we, the two of us, really smart guys. So it's going to be easy to mislead. But, you know, Jim Jordan is like a dog with a bone and hasn't let this go, nor have the House Republicans. And they finally figured out what these two were trying to do and zeroed in on the relevant question. Thank God for those two whistleblowers who were unfairly smeared as liars who came forth to say, I put it in a memo. I'm telling you this. I wrote it right down. I sent it to my supervisor who's not disputing this. It's right here. He said he didn't have the authority. They said, you're a liar and you're dumbass. You, you misunderstood David Weiss. He always had the authority. Well, now we know now. Oh, really? I mean, I look forward. Maybe Jim Jordan made the whole thing up. Maybe he's just banking on he's just going to lie to us and we're just never going to actually hear testimony. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think this guy, David Weiss, went under oath behind closed doors, told the truth. And the truth is he was denied by Lisa Monaco, who's been a villain throughout this whole thing. Her name is all over the IRS whistleblower testimony who interfered at every turn to protect the president and the ass of the president's son. She ran cover for both of them from the start. Lisa Monaco, that's as high up as you can get in justice, minus Merrick Garland. So she needs to be called in. Let's hear from her next. All right. I'm fired up about it because we've been we've been following it. And Stu, you're not wrong. It takes effort. It takes some effort to actually understand what these guys are doing. And they're banking on that. But you know what? I got all the time in the world for you people. I got all the time in the world for you, Merrick Garland and you, David Weiss. And many moons ago, I practiced law, too. So I dusted off my law degree, practiced for a decade. and I still know a couple of words. So let's do this thing. OK, let's not, let's not forget as well that Hunter Biden was about a half hour away from getting away with all of this. Right. There, there was a plea deal in place, if not for one ethical judge who said, wait a minute, are you guys sure you're on the same page as to what this plea deal really means? This was all going to go away. I mean, it's it's yeah. absolutely amazing. I mean, they were really that close to just burying this whole thing. And so I'm glad you have the time for it because the American people need to hear this story. And, you know, hopefully this has now reached a breaking point where it, it can't be suppressed anymore. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> it's just too hard to understand. And the media is going to punt it because they don't want to work to figure out that anybody did anything wrong. If this guy has to testify before, you know, an open Congress, it could change because hearing mm -hmm. him say it on tape, which directly contradicts Merrick Garland. That's that's tough to ignore. Um, let's switch to the other system of justice, which is very, very excited to prosecute Donald Trump and take away his freedom and take away his businesses, too, over this bullshit thing that literally every real estate developer in New York has probably done. I mean, you could put like every real estate developer in Manhattan in jail or at least not jail, but take away their business like Letitia James is trying to do to Trump. So this trial has gotten so wacky in New York State Supreme. And this weird Judge Engeron, and we, boy, do we have an update on him. It involves, <laughs> well, like some nudie pics. <laughs> it's like only half nudie, but more than you want to see of a judge, especially this one. Okay, we'll All get right, to I'm that. Out. <laughs> no, you, I had to see it, and so do you, Dave. All you right, sit all there, right. You, just, you have another Speak cigarette for if you yourself, need it. guys. I thought he looked good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to make the pun about Stu does, Stu does <laughs> in any event. Um, so this guy hates Trump. Letitia James hates Trump. 
And it's serious stakes because he's basically going to lose his business in New York State. This week, uh, well, last week we saw Donald Trump Jr. testify. Then we saw Eric Trump testify. Then yesterday we saw Big Trump take the stand. And, and today Ivanka goes up there. Um, Trump did testify and got uh, got came out afterward and took aim at the judge who he hates. Uh, here's a little bit of what he said in SOT 7. This is a case that should have never been brought. It's a case that should be dismissed immediately. The fraud was on behalf of the court. I don't have to be here for the most part, but I sort of do have to be here because I want to be here because it's a scam. Okay, so that was Monday. Then he was asked um, when he came out later in a break how things went. And, you know, the judge has put him under a gag order from saying certain things and has fined him $15,000 already for violating it. And here's what happened when he was asked about how things were going in SOT 8. For the listening audience, he's, he did the zip your lip motion across his mouth. But Letitia James, the attorney general, she's a talker. And here's her take on how Trump's um, how, how the testimony went when Trump took the stand on Monday, SOT 9. He rambled. He hurled insults. Um, but we expected that. At the end of the day, um, the documentary evidence, evidence demonstrated that, in fact, he falsely inflated his assets to basically enrich himself and his family. Mr. Trump obviously can engage in all of these distractions, and that what is what exactly what he did, what he committed on the stand today, engaging, engaging in distractions and engaging in name-calling. Um, but I will not be bullied. I will not be harassed. This case will go on. I don't know if you guys notice, but every time she comes to this, the microphones, it's, I will not be bullied. I, she always finds a way to make herself into the courageous, brave, anti-Trump warrior. Like, a real prosecutor would not say any, the word I would not come out at all. At all. It would be boring. It would be judicious. It would be fair. Or you'd be bending over backwards to be fair to Donald Trump. She already won. She already got summary judgment in her favor. Like we're just cleaning up the scraps here. And yet she can't show any class. She's got to make it about herself. I am strong. I'm a warrior for truth. Same woman who ran on getting Trump. So, Stu, um, this is going to come down against him and it's going to be ugly. And um, I'm not sure what the message here other is other than don't run for public office because you could lose your freedom and you could lose your business. Especially now. I mean, we're seeing the justice system in the age of social media, which it does not it's not a positive thing. Everyone's trying to be make themselves into a star while they're trying to execute uh, justice. And it's not the way it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be the opposite. Um, you know, Tish James, who will always hold a slight warm part in my soul after what she she was able to get Andrew Cuomo out. So she's done at least no, one good true. thing with her life. I'll give her that. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, watching this happen with Trump, it's like, you know, what is this really like? You know, as you point out, every real estate developer in New York would have some sort of problem with this. And what's if there's going to be any effect at all of this? What is it? A fine? Probably that's where this would normally land with any normal human being, any other business person in New York. And it's so transparent, these efforts, especially because so many of them came so late, right? Like, you know, they all knew about January 6th. We all remember that. We watched it on TV. They could have done a lot of things in the immediate aftermath after that. 
Instead, they waited to see if he would run again. They waited and waited and waited with all these things to make them all pile up while he's trying to run for president. And it puts into the American voters mind something that I think is true in this case, that almost none of this matters. There's no justice at all. This is we are turning into the banana republic we've always made fun of. I mean, this is the type of stuff that happens in Venezuela, right, where a, a, a president can and, and, and his political opponents will go after the leading candidate of the other side and try to take him down, not through democracy, which is what they always say they're trying to protect, not letting the voters make up their minds, instead trying to take him out separately. And this is something that I think you look at and you, you can't believe it's the United States of America. You better have rock solid proof. It better be. I mean, it better be Donald Trump shooting someone on Fifth Avenue on camera to try to take down a president who's up by 40 points in his primary. They've totally lost connection and they don't care if America looks like Venezuela, because honestly, it seems to be what they want to turn it into. Oh, yes. They're ace in the hole. The criminal trials are their ace in the hole on, on all those bad you know, New York Times, Siena poll. Like, don't worry, we got the trials. The same voters said that mm, if he actually gets convicted of a crime, I might I might go Biden. This trial in New York is about whether Trump overstated the value of his real estate por portfolio when applying for loans and insurance policies to get better rates. And it seems that he did. And no one got hurt. He paid back the loans. He paid all of the policies on time. No bank is complaining. There's literally no victim. Tish James just claims, you know, on principle, it's the wrong thing to say it's worth 30 million when it's only worth 10 million. And therefore, technically, it was a violation of the letter of the law, Dave. So she's probably right. Um, the question is, does it warrant taking away the man's business, walloping him with potentially a $250 million fine? His business is going into receivership. What, he loses potentially control over Trump Tower, Bedminster, uh, the other thing, Silver Springs, can't remember what it's called, where Eric Trump resided for a time, but all of it. So you lose it. I mean, I guess he should be thankful to be going to jail since he's not going to have any place to live or work. Thanks to Tish James. Well, I, look, she she wants to be governor, right? I mean, that's what this was about. And, and this was the deliverable for Democrat primary voters in New York state. She ran for attorney general. She, she said, you know, make me attorney general and I will go after Donald Trump. I mean, just think about that. I mean, Think about, forget about Donald Trump. Imagine anybody running for attorney general on the basis of I'm going to go prosecute one person. Right. I mean, unless you're talking about like Al Capone in the 1920s, that that makes no sense and is in and of itself an act of corruption. But this is what her voters wanted. Right. And, and her voters want her speaking truth to power. And, and look at this you know, woman who, who won't back down and she's not afraid of Trump. I mean, that entire dynamic that you just described, I mean, that's the TV show uh, that Letitia James and the Democrats want. And it's the TV show that we're getting now. You know, I, I do. I, I kind of wish that we had been able to see the, the confrontations within the courtroom on television. I think that we will be able to see that in the Georgia trial. But it's really all Trump has left right now. And he's absolutely right to do it is is to make this political, to say, I am being politically persecuted. I am not being prosecuted. I'm being persecuted. And he's absolutely right. And, and I think Republican voters certainly see that. Democrat voters don't. I don't know where independent voters are on that. And those may be the people, Megan, that you're referring to who could be swayed by a conviction. So th this is this is all horrible. I mean, I mean, Stu's right. This is not the United States of America that I grew up in.
Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I mean, the Wall Street Journal had an, an editorial the other day saying they're going to indict him right into office. You know, his it's not just that the indictments haven't hurt him. It's that they've really helped him. It's, it's that many Americans are actually more determined than ever to fight for Donald Trump and to see him, him in particular, give the big middle finger to these overbearing prosecutors and the abuse of our justice system by by winning the presidency. And there's a very interesting number out there right now with black voters. Listen to this, you guys. For the first time, I think, I mean, ever for a Republican presidential candidate, he is beating the Democrat, Joe Biden, with black men. When have you ever seen that? Trump's beating Biden with black men. The black vote goes overwhelmingly for the Democrat in every election and still leans Biden. Um, I think it's overall 73 percent for Biden, but 23 percent for Trump. That's because of black men. Uh, That's from that New York Times Siena poll in 2020 with black men. Biden was over Trump by 34 points, 34. Now Trump is beating Biden by three. It's incredible. And Trump said, speaking of Hugh Hewitt, one of tonight's debate moderators, Trump said to Hugh Hewitt after his mugshot, the black community is so different for me since that mugshot was taken. I don't know if you've seen the polls. My polls of the black community have gone up four and five times. That was a bit of an exaggeration at the time, but they have gone up way up. And I do wonder whether, you know, black men who tend in large numbers to distrust the justice system, given the history, um, see exactly what's happening here in a very clear way. And maybe that's being factored in. Maybe the Wall Street Journal's right that not just black men, but men in general and Americans in general see what's being done to him and are not just like ambivalent about it, but angry and are ready to vote him into office as a message. What do you make of it, Stu? I think it's possible. I think, you know, the Siena poll did show that the CNN poll that came out today was not quite as favorable, if I'm if I'm right on that. Um, and, and I don't know if it holds up for the entire election. I do think that that is a real thing. And I think that there are plenty of people who recognize it. Uh, you know, you look at this and, you know, it just seems unfair. It's like if I don't know, the, the uh, you know, the uh, the Eagles coach was able to kind of say, well, you know, the Cowboys, uh, they can't start their starting quarterback. We're going to take them off the field, even if for some reason they had a good argument with that, it would feel unfair. And that's what it's feeling, I think, to the uh, the everyday person. I, I, you know, I it will be fascinating to see if Donald Trump can actually get 20, 25 percent of of African-American votes. It would be the type I of bet, event that would it. realign our politics completely, right? Yeah. Like the I, I really think he can do it. And the numbers are growing I mean, on the Hispanic side too. Yeah, uh, dramatically. And, you know, the Democratic profile of how they win elections is we need 95% of black voters. We need 80% of Hispanic voters. We need, you know, 60, 70% sometimes of, of different demographics among younger voters and female voters. And if those things start to to, to crack, you really have nowhere to go. It's going to be very difficult for them to. to well, go you've back got in white say, suburban women. That's how they did it the last time. But those numbers were almost even Trump v. Biden in The New York Times poll. There weren't enough women supporting Trump right. Biden to overcome the huge deficits for Biden with men, which happens to be 50 percent of the electorate. And then you'd break it down by the subgroups. They're all going Trump independents, y- young people, blacks, Hispanics, more and more uh, towards Trump. So the Democratic coalition falls apart, at least on paper, a year out. Another interesting thing from that Wall Street Journal editorial, they they pointed us to 
recent reporting on, quote, win it back pack. This is an anti-Trump group. And they're referencing an article in Politico last week, says the group tested four TV ads focused on Mr. Trump's legal travails. All right. So this anti-Trump group was testing ads, getting ready to sick him if he gets convicted or hit him on the on the um, trials. All four ads tested failed to move support away from Trump, uh, a research memo concluded. Even more fascinating, three of the commercials increased Mr. Trump's support. Two of the TV ads backfired across almost all demographic groups. We actually have a side of this. Do we not, team? We have a side of one of the ads? Yes, here it is. Watch. I've been with Trump from the start. But truthfully, I don't know what happens if he is convicted while he is running. What happens then? What would that look like? I don't think any of us can see that crystal ball, what that's going to look like, other than just Biden cruises, cruises it. Let's just say that can't happen. So they never ran because they tested so poorly with these focus groups. The American electorate is not into the he's a criminal narrative, at least not yet, Dave. You know, we haven't sat through the trials. Most will not be televised. I just think the more they see, the more they're on Team Trump. That was just such a horrible ad. It's like that, that might be the worst political ad that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, first of all, you're, you're starting off with the guy's a traitor, right? So, so that's your big, oh, I love Donald Trump. But now I'm not so sure because so, I mean, that, that's not a compelling message. And then it's not that the ad doesn't even say that Trump committed crimes, right? The, the ad says, oh, well, what are we going to do if he ends up being convicted? And anyone reasonable who's watching that ad rewinds a bit and says, well, well, wait a minute. Is he actually guilty of anything? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that that ad backfired so badly. And I, I just want to add one thing about the 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 point on, on the black vote. I think the, the other thing that I think plays a role, especially with black men, is that some of these woke cultural issues do not play well mm -hmm. uh, among black men the way that they do with suburban white women. I mean, things like so the trans true. issue, other, other things like that. And the more that the Democrats tie themselves to this very sort of like female led vision of society and all that stuff, it it, it really can, you know, turn off uh, male voters. And, and I think it is. But but I don't know how the Democrats get out from under that because they've they've tied themselves to it uh, so explicitly um, that I, I think they're stuck with it. And I agree with you, Megan. I, I think that the. The, the black vote could move in, in a really significant way uh, in 2024. I also just want to quickly point out to Stu that, as we saw last weekend, the Eagles don't need to cheat to beat the Cowboys. We do that. Uh, all thank you. This is the best part of my day, Dave. I appreciate that. You're, now you're talking my husband's language. OK, um, we got to get to the naked judge and then we'll take a break. Judge Arthur Angeron, who really hates Trump. Do you guys remember him smiling from the bench when the cameras went in there just for a day? I don't know if the audience remembers this, but the camera went on the judge. Normally the judge would like ignore the cameras and try to be dignified. Look at him. He's like, oh, oh, my left side's my better. Oh, see, look at him. I guess this is his right side. Oh, look at me. Who me? So that's not his only time on camera, as it turns out. Um, there is, okay, I'm trying to follow how we came to know this. It's just going to read you what's right in front of me. The Twitter account Marco Polo something 
posted about the judge in the New York City case, Arthur Angeron, who publishes an alumni newsletter for the Wheatley School. He's class 67. I don't know what that is. Sounds like a high school. Images from the newsletter show a naked man's torso. No face is shown. But the Twitter account suggests this is Judge Arthur Engeron. All right, here it is. Look. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> There's a situation going on there. Um, it's before and after, I guess. I'm not sure. I can't really. No offense to the judge, but I can't really tell that this is before and after. Um, then Colin Rugg posted on X that um, he has a peculiar hobby of posting half naked photos of himself on a high school alumni newsletter that he controls as reported on by Marco Polo. He's 74 years old. He appeared to even post a bonus torso photo in what looks like the bathroom of a gym. <laughs> one set of images appears to be progress photos. I guess one is apparently showing a frailer, more malnourished male. And then the later is him flexing excessively to try to show off his muscle gains. I don't know. I'm concerned a little about the judge's vanity projects <laughs> and his mental health as well. Oh, wait, that leads me to my one piece of good news from last night in Virginia. It appears um, one group has called it, but the New York Times hasn't that the slutty woman who had sex with her husband on camera for money, who was running for a, a seat in the Virginia House has lost. Thank God. Thank <laughs> God. It looks like she's lost. So naked running for office and having sex with your husband. No. Half naked on your high school newsletter. Who's clicking on this newsletter? Not a problem for this judge. Any thoughts, guys? I, I, how common is this? I, I feel like I live in a totally different world. I don't even want to look at myself in the mirror when I walk by. Who are these people taking pictures of <laughs> themselves without clothes on? It's my view there should be in existence no photos of males without clothing on that. They sh we should ban them all. Technology should somehow prevent them. There's no need for them. And you should never, ever take one of yourself. That is there's yeah. never a good reason uh, to do that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm glad the rep, the almost a state senator. Uh, was able to keep the porn in the confines of her marriage. What a traditionalist, but uh, probably not a good idea for your political future. Why Why are the like anti-Trump people such weirdos? Like, <laughs> like it happens again and again and again. Just like such strange like behavior. It's like, what, what's going, like maybe it's all of a piece and, and they're just sort of like strange, deranged people and it's not just- Well, Trump isn't it the same way, like, all the people pulling down those posters of the Israeli hostages, they're all unattractive. I mean, yes. they're all unattractive. Like, sorry, inside and out. You tell me what the common thread is, but I see it. I have eyes. That's where we pick it up right after this quick break. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM at home or anywhere you are, no car required. I do it all the time. I love the Sirius XM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now, get your first three months for free. 
Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. Quickly, Rashida Tlaib has been officially censured by the House for her anti-Semitic comments, rolling out a video accusing Israel of genocide and saying, including a, a tape of from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is a call for the eradication of Israel. And she said it was really aspirational. It's more about peace. So it's not. But and that was rejected. And she's been censured with a lot of Democrats crossing over the line to say the same about her. Meantime, you get all these think pieces now, Dave, on, well, is that anti-Semitic from the river to the sea? Palestine will be free. Is anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism are like all these deep thoughts about like, I'm not sure what we're seeing in the streets is anti-Semitism when they're tearing down the pictures of the missing Jewish babies. Um, I don't remember any of this nuance post George Floyd. No, it's it, it's amazing. I'll have a column uh, at Fox on Friday that's specifically about this, but it's it's stunning. For twenty years, the left has been telling us that racism and sexism and transphobia have absolutely nothing to do with intent. It doesn't matter what your motivation is. Uh, we've we've basically erased words from the English language, right? We're, 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 we've erased the word mother. We're, we're told you're not supposed to use the term you guys, right? Because it's sexist. Not not because your intent is to be sexist, but because it upholds these, you know, negative stereotypes or, or, or whatever it is. Now, suddenly it comes to Jews and the rules completely reverse themselves. And you can say whatever you want. And the message to Jewish people is, you know, hey, don't be so sensitive, right? What happened to the left telling us if a group says this is offensive to me, then you have to respect that, right? If a black person or a gay person or an Eskimo says, we don't like that term, we don't like what you're doing, we find it offensive, the left says, hey, you need to knock it off. Not for Jews, not for Jews. And and it, it's disgusting. It is anti-Semitism and it needs to be called out everywhere. Intent doesn't matter. They told us that for years now. And I know you. this caught the attention of both of you, but so-called Central Park Karen, which is not a nice name. Amy Cooper is her name. You guys remember she had this confrontation with this very aggressive, rather cruel bird watcher in Central Park. And he was pissed off. Her dog was there without a leash and said he was going to hurt it. He was going to do what he wanted. He said, you can do what you want, but then I'm going to do what I want and you're not going to like it. 
And she said she felt threatened. She called 911. She mentioned his race. Her life blew up. Here's the here is the original video in SOT 26. There is an African-American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. And my I'm sorry, I can't hear you either. I'm being threatened by a man into the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. She just dropped a piece in Newsweek, which is heartbreaking still. Her life has been ruined. She had to, she, she lost her job. She uh, has been completely abused. She writes, my life as I knew it was over. All of her personal information was released online. Hundreds of threatening graphic images, death threats, hate mail continues to this day. Employer fired me without even talking to me. Blacklisted my career. Three years later, I am still in hiding. I am scared to be in public. I still can't get a job that meets my qualifications. And there have been long stretches of unemployment, all leading to thoughts of self-harm. My family has suffered enormously. I care for one of my parents who has a terminal illness. I want them to know I'll be okay, but I do not know if I ever will be. She tried to connect with a guy. He wouldn't speak to her. He turned out to be a nasty guy. He really did. He was nasty. And her life has been ruined over this one incident where we now know, thanks to Camille Foster and his reporting over our pal from the fifth column, that this story was much more complex. This guy had been in the face of other dog walkers in the Bramble and had threatened them like he was. He had a proven record of aggression towards people like Amy Cooper. But that's not the story these it's nuanced people wanted to tell. Yeah, this, I'm so glad we got to talk about this. It's criminal what happened to her. It really, it really is. Um, you know, Kamel was on uh, with Barry Weiss. They did a podcast on this a couple of years ago, and I encourage anyone to go back and listen to it. It's, it's an incredible hour. It's a journey to go through this story because when I saw the video, I thought she kind of looked insane and maybe racist too. And yep. the way it was reported, there was no nuance to it at all. We found out later all the things that you point out, that she was threatened. She was a previous victim of sexual violence, alone in a park, being threatened and being threatened that it was confirmed by the guy. The guy said he threatened her. Another African-American gentleman said that he had been threatened by the same guy in the same circumstance in that park and had two other people that he knew that had also been threatened, but they were afraid to come forward because they were white and they were afraid they'd be Amy Coopered. Um, this is a travesty and a real failure of our society to not write these things for these people. Maybe you can understand getting it wrong initially, but why can't we come back and make these things right. This woman's life has been destroyed. They took her dog. They took her livelihood. They took everything from her. She's living in hiding over this. It's completely unacceptable. And if we actually had journalists out there um, that would come out in the mainstream and just say, hey, wait a minute, look, we got this one wrong. We're sorry about it. Here's the truth. But that never seems to happen. I'm so sad. I, I asked my team, what does she do for a living? I, I'll give her a job but it's something to do with insurance, which isn't really up my alley. I, I'm so sad for her. I hate what we did to her as a society, not the three of us sitting here. And it's wrong. It's like She's owed an apology, and she certainly owed a re-entry into the, the society, the country, the area of her birth without this kind of horrible scorn. And that term, Karen, should be retired. It's a slur, and it's, it's ruinous. Joy Reid, looking at you. Uh, it's horrible. Last thought on it, Dave? Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> slurs are okay as long as they're directed at the oppressors. 
slurs are wrong if they're addressed at the oppressed. And, and, and that brings us right back to uh, the fact that all of these crazy lefties view Israel as the oppressor. And so they'll say whatever they want about Jews and they don't consider it to be bigotry. Uh, they consider it to be uh, speaking truth to power. It's disgusting. My God. Think about it. Jews are 2% of the population in America, 2%. They're trying to treat them like they run the whole country, which itself is an anti-Semitic thought. Guys, thank you. Thank you both so much. Love having you on. Tomorrow, we've got our Megyn Kelly show, All Stars, back to break down all the highlights from tonight's big GOP debate. Emily Jashinsky, Michael Moynihan, speaking of the fifth column, Knowles, Charles C.W. Cook. We got them all. Don't miss the show tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.